So thank you all for coming to Cock Talk. He has trouble counting change with the with the with the hands thing. Wait, wait, stop. Sorry. Yes, but I don't yeah. think that Dana Carvey's movie um, coming out at that same time was really that big a problem for our country. I still don't know why you're making such a big deal about September 11th, 2001. I mean, I fucking hate you. Well, you know, they don't necessarily need to be anathema, but they are definitely on different ends of the spectrum. Oh boy, how? See, I have every, a genetic predisposition every, against redheads, so because yeah, because you are one, right? Yeah, combustion. Yeah, we've yeah. heard it before. Yep. The only time I change the setting so, is when so, I take the okay. uh, hair trimmer down to the nether regions. Like that's the only time. Other than that, it's all just a two. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I just don't How about you all? I'm joking. I use beat. After the four Gospels, what's the next book of the Bible? Acts. Okay. And after that, it's Romans, isn't it? I'm drunk. Um, yeah, Romans. Okay, yeah. Yes. Okay. And if you look at the 15th chapter of Romans, okay, uh, you will find that it actually mentions uh, the ability to arm yourself. That's why it's AR-15. Thank you. Checkmate atheists. And, and anytime there's action in the ring, Scott Hall is taking all the bumps because Kevin Nash kind of sucks as a worker. district and the site I plan to retire from, assuming I can get permanent status. Um, we used to joke with a friend of the show uh, that uh, when, when she moved from the site she and I met at, um, she, she talked about her new site as being uh, Valhalla, where everything was shiny and chrome. Um, and I'm going to argue with her, I think I've actually found it. Um... My, my district administration seems to be taking public health actually at least somewhat seriously. Um, my co-workers are uh, 90% uh, people that, that I can I can you know get along with and, and uh, uh, feel supported by. And my site administration are rock stars. Um, without getting into, you know, too many, you know, getting into the weeds details about stuff. Um, I'm, I'm pretty much sure, like if, if I can, if I can manage not to fuck this up, I, I intend to stay there for the rest of my career. Very nice. Um, which I know is going to make you sad and it makes me a little sad because I, but like your district is dumpster fire and like you can't argue with me on that. No. So no. I just know that know. we always win still. 
well, I mean, yeah, your union wins, but the amount of time, the amount of time and energy you got to spend fighting shit is also you true. Know, yeah, kind of exhausting. So anyway, I mean, that's that's my, I mean, that's that's very big picture kind of news. But there you go. Who are you? I'm and I'm Damien Harmony. I am a Latin teacher and a drama teacher up here in Northern California. And I don't really have anything uh, of note, uh, to be perfectly honest. So let me just jump right into uh, what we were talking about last time. Um, All right, that's a change of pace, but here we go. Yeah, I, uh, I, I left off last time, I believe, talking about just getting into The Walking Dead. So I want to set the scene. It's 2010. And Robert Kirkman had been writing this graphic novel for quite some time. Uh, but yeah, a number of years. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but AMC optioned the rights to do a six episode season based almost entirely on the original, uh, uh, source material at the time. So the first season was six episodes long and it was very, very well received. You follow Rick, who's a sheriff's deputy in Georgia with a troubled marriage and a child, um, who had been shot while on the job and he was in a therapeutic coma. While in his coma, the world went zombie. Uh, he awakens, and the hospital has been overrun and abandoned. And there's that famous si- uh, sign on the door: "Don't Do dead open, open inside." Dead inside, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, very millennial kind of message there. Yeah, Do not yeah, dead inside. Anyway, yeah, and and uh, do not dead open inside. Um, <laughs> nice, thanks. Nice. I, that's what I was saying at first, but uh, so he travels oh, through sorry. his. Uh, sorry, Just mm, happens. Uh, he travels through his town in King County to Atlanta, uh, slowly learning with us what happened. So his travel is our travel. He's exploring the world for the first time as a man in a coma. It's very easy. I don't quite want to say a trope, but it is a very easy convention to slip into. It works really well. Yeah, I think I think I re- I vividly remember watching the first episode, mm-hmm. and I was watching it with uh, my best friend Sean mm-hmm. and his wife, and the three of us watching it. He, he and I are both you know story nerds and genre nerds, and so watching it, we were simultaneous. I mean, we were being entertained just like everybody else watching it, but at the same time we were looking at it from a very writerly kind of point of view. Mm-hmm. And it was really, really good. Like from, from a strictly technical, like yep. how would you write this kind of, it was amazing. Oh yeah. It was a great way to take watching, us through it. Yeah. And, and it managed to, whenever you're doing something that involves a lot of world building, it is really hard to get the ideas of what is the background of the world mm-hmm. across without having to do an info dump or having people just like talk shit out. Very true. And the way Kirkman's graphic novel and the way the show mm-hmm. did it were just absolutely amazing. Yeah. And what what struck my friend first and then and then he he kind of point literally pointed to it like he didn't say anything but he just pointed and the fact that at the end of the first episode 
Rick shows up in Atlanta wearing a cowboy hat on the back of a horse with a shotgun across his back mm-hmm. is so amazingly like you have to you have to think that the folks in the writer's room were like, okay, okay, no, look, we could actually pull this fucking off. Mm-hmm. Like we can, we can totally be that on point and, and do it and make it work. And, and it did. And it wasn't like, Oh, of course he's showing up on the horse and like the whole cowboy trope and all that. No, they paid for it. Like, mm-hmm. like they made it work and it was absolutely perfect well and and you get that shot and then shortly thereafter it's all torn to to asunder and i mean the horse um so yeah he's he's looking for his wife and his son right and he finds them with his partner and his best friend uh of course his partner took care of his wife um while he was in the coma and so Lori, his wife and shane his best friend slash partner uh, their love of Rick brought them together, and they're actually a couple. But as soon as Rick shows up, Lori dumps Shane uh, for her husband, and it's all sorts of uncomfortable for her and for Shane and for us, and Rick is blissfully and seemingly unaware. Um, now, the group yeah. that they have amassed with them is filled with very dynamic and complex characters right off the bat. There's an abusive husband with his wife and child. There's 13 people at this camp, to give or take, and among them include people like Glenn Ree, who's a Korean pizza delivery boy, two semi-estranged sisters, Amy, and I forget her name, Sharon, I want to say, um, mm-hmm. Rick and his partner, uh, who, as it turns out, have very different philosophies as to how things should go, T-Dog, uh, a black man with a strong moral compass, uh, which... I feel bad, like, I can list everyone else in these other ways, but he literally was kind of written that way uh, to just show yeah. that, you know, in a post-apocalyptic world, your color doesn't matter. Now, later on, they develop uh, more characters. There's a lot more people of color involved and, and things like that, um, and they're not just, oh, this is a black guy with a strong moral compass. Like, they, they I mean, right now, there's currently a deaf character, um, yeah. and, you know, and there's all kinds of uh, different things, but... Um, you've got Dale, who's the old man who owns the RV. You've got Merle and Daryl, uh, who are super racist brothers who are both good at hunting, but really shitty people. Um, so that's the group that you start with. And if they kill Daryl, we riot. Yeah. Is, is the, is the, the yep. one of the mantras that's been like for the whole run of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think I, character development over the course of the of the arc of the show is one of the most remarkable Mm -hmm. bits yeah because if i'm remembering right and i've only read the first couple of volumes of of the comic daryl's not in the comic daryl yeah daryl daryl is a is a is an original creation for the for the tv series and it's it's interesting that you know so anyway carry on Sorry. So the just, just you know, go. go. go oh, ahead. okay. Sorry. <laughs> so the zombies are a big goddamn deal. Uh, they're ubiquitous. They're deadly. Uh, the people are still coming to grips with how to survive, and they're under constant threat of attack. Um, at one point, there's an argument over whether or not to allow a fire or just embers. 
the people are uh, are are finally forced to clear their camp uh, when it's clear that it's no longer hidden from the undead. And Rick takes those who are willing to go back to Atlanta to the CDC. Um, Shane and he disagree over this, by the way, as Shane has adapted to the new world and thinks that Rick is foolhardy for wanting to stay as things used to be. In fairness, Rick just woke up. Uh, when they, when they <laughs> kind of an important note, like yeah. I literally got here, dude. Yeah. like you've, uh, you've been dealing with this for months mm-hmm. and, but I'm going to take I'm... leadership. That's the thing that always got me. Now, when they get to the CDC, they meet a doctor who tells them ultimately that their efforts are fruitless, that there is no cure and there will be no cure. Uh, he doesn't actually tell them that when the CDC's backup generator runs out of juice, um, he doesn't tell them that the whole place is going to explode. Uh, until they're sealed in and it's too late. Uh, Rick convinces him to let them go, actually. Uh, Before they leave, the doctor doctor whispers to Rick that it's pointless because everyone in the world is actually infected. So when you die, you become a zombie. And that's the end of season one. And then it gets picked up. It gets picked up as a show. And what seemed to really trip people up and really get them to like it partly is that image of Rick on a horse with a cowboy hat. Because from then on, the whole show is a Western of just varying different types. The group is itself a group, but it is essentially a stand-in for the lone gunman who comes to town and disrupts that town's oppressive system. They fight against town bullies and deadly shadow... uh, There's deadly showdowns at the end of the seasons. Or... The group finds a place to hole up and call itself the homestead. And then they fight off bandits and adjacent bullies of uh, mean people uh, and bullies who have the means to actually be bullies. Or the group has to deal with someone within the group, essentially breaking the rules of the group wherever they are. Do you notice what's largely missing from all of these plots that keep happening over and over again? Um, that would be the zombies. <clears throat> yeah, they're plot devices, but so rarely is the the plot centralized around them. They're vaguely, well, you know, yeah. No, go ahead. You finish, finish your thought. They're they're vaguely uh-huh. dark, poorly dressed in comparison to the protagonists. Background menaces that can be used by antagonists to deepen the jeopardy to our main characters. Zombies are the Indians of our new westerns. Rick himself is a sheriff's deputy, has gun, will travel. Okay. Yeah. That's that's a really wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. I I mean, yeah. Huh? I, I haven't have an hadn't quite <laughs> taken to heart yeah. just just the extent to which that was that was the new paradigm there. Mm-hmm. Um I think what's what's interesting to me is what you said early on mm-hmm. about the zombies in the first several episodes is they they are and they remain a a background environmental threat. Yes. But I think it's important to note, and I think this is this is different from other other films that we've talked about in the genre up to this point. In other places where the zombies were a background threat, mm-hmm. the intensity of their dangerousness mm-hmm. was less than it is in The Walking Dead. 
Yes like, and no. I, because The Walking Dead has the advantage of being 10 years old now. 11 years well, old. So it has changed yes. over time. And I'm actually going to cover each major plot line as oh, far as that God. goes. But okay, when you get to the zaniness of uh, Zombieland and when you get to the fact that it's basically once you get past Bush, yeah. the zombies are no longer the main story yeah. of a zombie film. Well, you know, I, I think what's what's interesting, and this this applies both for the graphic novel and for mm-hmm. the TV series, The Walking Dead is to me less a zombie series than it is a post-apocalypse series where the apocalypse was a zombie apocalypse as opposed to nukes. Mm-hmm. You get what I mean? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, I like, fully like agree. What, 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 you know, the the author of The Walking Dead is trying to is trying to get across to us is this is what the world is going to look like after mm-hmm. this kind of apocalypse. This is how we're going to have to rebuild society. This is this is how people are going to respond. Yeah, but I think ultimately, um, by doing that, all that is really happening is essentially that you're saying, oh, okay, right, we we found that Westerns were really successful in the 50s and 60s. How do we get back to Westerns? With all our technology and all of our stuff put together, how with, do we make it, it so that there's no social safety net, so that technology is no longer valid or helpful, other than the very mechanical, easy-to-repair and easy-to-maintain steam-based stuff and animal-based stuff? In other words, Westerns. So zombies will get you there. All right, I I I get I get what you're saying there, but mm-hmm. I don't think like they literally create stagecoaches out of old cars. Oh yeah, <laughs> like well, yeah. it's it's yeah. I, I mean, I think yeah. You know, I I think I think the thing is that's that is that is where it ends up. Mm-hmm. That is where it ends up, and I think that's because we're talking about American creators. Mm-hmm working from a very distinctly American kind of paradigm. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, absolutely. I think, and, and, but, but if anybody is going to be that aware of it, I think Mm -hmm. that's the folks who, who made the TV series. I don't think there was that level of consciousness. I could have a better word. Involved in the, at least at the beginning, in the graphic novel. Yeah, and I, I can't think, I can't we, speak to the graphic novel because I'm specifically focused on the the TV and the, movie media. Yeah, so yeah, the, the yeah. moving picture media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So All right. after season one, um, like basically this is wagon train plus outlaw comes to town, <laughs> right? So after season okay. one, they run into a family farm with qualms about killing the undead. And Rick has to kill his best friend on that family farm. So that's season two is pretty much. Um, the, okay. Does he have to kill his best friend on that family farm? Yeah, actually, he ends up having to because it is it is kill or be killed between the two of them. Oh, um, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. You're talking about when when his, his friend is still alive and it turns into a kill or be killed. Yes. Right. Yes. Sorry. I No, yeah, it's fine. And But basically, I mean, we're talking about uh, Little House on the Prairie meets the zombies 
<laughs> That's a fucked up image. <laughs> and I'm kind of here for it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Then, then there's no, a a season where they're in a prison, which uh, is also paired up with the governor's town, and so it's essentially they they come to town as lone gunmen. They set up shop outside of town, and they disrupt this corrupt town's way of doing things. Um, when that when that storyline ends, uh, you get terminus, um, where they literally follow the railroad tracks. Um, then they eventually get to Alexandria, uh, where Rick's people become the protectors. In other words, we need a new sheriff and a new marshal. Um, the wolves attack Alexandria wolves, you know, animals, humans acting Uh as, but here's the thing. The wolves are actually humans. They're not zombies. So people gone, but, but they're people gone native on some level. Oh, wow. That's fucked up. Yep. And then you get to Hilltop, you get you get introduced to the kingdom, yeah. you get introduced to Negan's survivors. Again. So again, you've got a a very corrupt leader of people, and I mean you've essentially got the cowboys, right? Um, these yeah. are these are three towns, but then uh, eventually there's a big war, and Negan gets not killed. And then there's huge tension over Negan not being killed. Um, and notice again, everything that's missing from this is the zombies. They are a background menace. They are manipulated by those in power to attack those who are trying to remove those in power. Um, they wind up becoming a tool. Yeah. Uh, the zombies are like the main threat uh, as far as a background threat until Rick seems to die. And then they fast forward by six years. And now you see the three towns that are mostly thriving. So there was a peaceful town called Rock Ridge. Um, <laughs> and then you have <laughs> then you have Alpha's Horde, which is the most recent stuff. Um, and it's this woman who leads uh, a bunch of other humans who dress in walker skins um, and act like walkers and walk among the walkers as though they are walkers. So totally turn native um and they're leading the walkers to destroy the towns so again you know the real problem is you know when people manipulate these groups um there's a lot of brutality there's heads on pikes uh her alpha's daughter goes to live with the town uh she slaughters a lot of people during a town fair um which again, you know, everybody turn out for the big, you know, big town fair in the middle of the mm-hmm. town square. Season ten, there's an uneasy piece with Alpha and her horde. You can watch this on on Netflix. Um, season ten, I love season ten's beginning because it literally starts with the town of Oceanside fighting off regular walkers as a matter of as a way to show how normal things are at that point. Like, they have a drill where they're teaching people how to kill the walkers. And they're letting them out in parsed-out numbers. And they're taking you through these battle tactics. And everybody's like, yep, this is totally normal and idyllic. This is the good times. And then shit gets weird. Um, And then the alpha storyline ends. And and that brings us to kind of the final season, which is going to be 24 episodes stretched over the next two years. Um, But what I think is, yeah, it's, 
you know, Game of Thrones got nothing on them. Um, what I think is interesting <laughs> to note is that every new season or storyline starts with the towns being peaceful, fighting a clutch of zombies that they have very little trouble against, and that's what counts as peaceful for homesteaders. Yeah, the natives are a problem, but not that often. So it's a modern Western. Um, now, if you don't like the water, modern Western analysis, we could also look at the not-so-subtle undercurrent of the expendability uh, for the zombies um, in general, and they could also represent the homeless. Wow, I don't know which one of those is more problematic. Well, let's dig into the homeless, shall we? Because oh. because I've, I've been spending time on the tropiness of the natives being the problem. Uh, and yeah. we've, we talked about that with our Gygax episode, and there have been yeah. a few other times. Um, but let's talk about the homeless for a second. Because the, the Indian comparison, the, the natives comparison, is really, really obvious. Um, and, you yeah. know, and, and with everything else. But I think uh, there's some meat on this bone as well. <laughs> um, so... Uh, owing to the economic disaster brought about by tax cuts during an endless war, as well as the deregulation of runaway capitalism and the loss of social services due to compassionate conservative policies, as well as the necessary governmental belt tightening when the decision was made to bail out same banks that were pushing people out of their homes, homelessness in 29 to 2010 was on the rise. In 2009, there was an estimated 630,277 homeless in America. Uh, in 2010, say that, say that number again, 630,277. Okay. Obviously an estimate. Um, Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, clearly. Um, I, I want to, I want to quibble a little bit here because you're, you're focusing on 2009, 2010 when this show started. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I understand why, why you're doing that in Uh the context of this, but I I also want to, want to take the discussion of this back. A okay. little bit further, because 2009-2010 is the not cusp. What's the word I'm looking for? Is 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 a a an inflection point? Sure. Uh, I don't know, but the the beginning of all of this has to has to be traced back to the policies of the Reagan administration mm-hmm. more than 20 years before that the the Reagan administration mm-hmm. cut funding for all kinds of social services, mm-hmm. most notably including mental health services, mm-hmm. in a, well, you know, we need to defund, you know, asylums kind of, kind of thinking mm-hmm. without redirecting those funds into other ways to help people who were mentally ill. Mm-hmm. And so we wind up seeing things like, you know, the movie Prince of Darkness where the zombies are so obviously mm-hmm. a stand-in for zitgeist fear of the homeless. Right. They're literally all homeless people. Like. I- I don't disagree with you here, but I do think that there was enough of a social safety net still there um, that uh, many people were able to, because remember, welfare reform doesn't come around until Clinton. 
granted you know and and there's there's a lot of ways that people are still able to get certain services um but by by 2009 we're talking more than half a million Um, yeah and and a direct result of of what we just saw now in 2010 it jumps up to 637,077 um, and while the number began to dwindle when Obama was in office, it never dropped below 549,000. In fact, after eight years of decline in 2016, it ticked back up. Now it's still holding below 600,000 as of this recording. Now the thing is, the homeless tend not to have access to as many opportunities to wash their clothing and their bodies, or dentistry, or hair care, or health care, or exercise, or nutrition. There's a lot going on there, and zombies kind of embody a lot of that. And in 2010, the killing of the homeless was at its peak. Um, homeless people were doused with gasoline, set on fire, attacked with bottles, metal pipes, baseball bats, sprayed with pepper spray, often for the sport of it. And I'm not saying that The Walking Dead caused or even led to this, but I am saying that these things were co-germinating at the same time. Well, you know, and it's it's worth noting that in any kind of large-scale, largely urbanized kind of society, mm-hmm. there has historically been a deep-seated fear of the homeless. Mm-hmm. The, the example that's immediately coming to my mind is um, in Han, China, um, I'm trying to remember which dynasty it is I'm talking about, but, uh, in Mongol ruled China. So we're talking about the, I want to say the Qing dynasty. There was a very pronounced fear mm-hmm. of, of beggars and of the homeless within that society mm-hmm. because, um, if you don't have a home, if you don't have a family that you were living with that puts you in this position from the view of an, of somebody outside of your circumstances, from, from the view of somebody with a home with things to lose, when you don't have those connections, mm-hmm. there is nothing to limit your behavior there is nothing to stop you from any any number of kinds of of actions or or you know things things you might do right there was a massive panic in i want to say the ming dynasty there was a huge panic over uh soul stealers mm and it was it was essentially a Chinese witch hunt that was directed at the homeless and okay. beggars within within their society because they were the ones who had nothing to lose. And and I mean, there's I could get all kinds of all kinds of very, you know, nerdy about this because it, it was a fascinating point of study in, in my bachelor's degree. But um, you know the 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 underlying idea I'm trying to get I'm, I'm trying to emphasize is for those of us who are not homeless, mm-hmm. 
people who are homeless reflect number one, one of our one of our greatest fears, which is you know losing one's home, which is mm-hmm. very primal. But on, at the same time, there is a subconscious. I don't know if existential is the right word, but but a very deep threat involved in encountering someone who does not have anything to lose. I'm going to take that one step further. I'm going to okay. say that there is a almost a pathological hatred of them. And by 2010, that is really being exercised and exorcised as well. Um, I mean, bum fights had been all but shut down officially by 2008, but it still was something in the collective consciousness at the time. Yeah. So having a show that popularizes casual violence against poorly dressed, poorly kept, dirty, formerly civilized beings, they're not even human beings, it kind of continues the through line of acceptable violence against a certain group that really got going in Zombieland. And it's okay in Zombieland. There was kind of an ennui toward them. They are they're they're easy to kill for sport. There's no real hatred of them. But in The Walking Dead, there's a lot of exploration of the hatred of them because they once were your family members. And so there's not just the fear. There is a a pathology against it. Well, there's there's a remarkable moment. In one of one of the episodes in the first season, I don't I don't remember which episode, but Rick encounters a father and son, mm-hmm. and the the wife and mother has been zombified. Yes, and they're all holed up in a house. Yes, and the father is in the second. There's there's this this. He's got a sniper mm-hmm. rifle and he's looking through the scope yeah. and he sees her. Yeah. Yeah, and it's gut wrenching. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely gut wrenching because he's he's shooting zombies all around her, but he right. can't bring himself to shoot her. Right. And one could make the argument that that is also a stand-in for drug addiction. Like there are a lot oh, of things that we fear. That's potent. That we treat with hatred. Uh, now that ties wow. back to your talk about Reagan and shutting down the social safety nets. Yeah. Because all the treatment Holy centers shit. and stuff, right? Yeah. Now I'm not going to go too much more into this particular yeah, okay. show, right. other than to point out that it gives us a western. It gives us a fear of the homeless and even potentially drug users. Uh, addicts. Um, okay. Now, and, and yes, I'm I'm going to jump on this before we move on to anything else, and just say that this is a huge. This became overnight mm-hmm. a huge part of the zitgeist. Yeah, and it's like it it was it was up there with Game of Thrones as a massive, you know, media hit that. It became a part of the mass consciousness. Well, and really, I think in so doing, it sucked the oxygen out of the biome of zombie movies, ultimately. It became the codifier and the standard setter in a lot of ways. And a lot of made-for-TV zombie films and a lot of zomcoms and a lot of genre-bending into zombies came after it, but not much else. There wasn't that much left to do. Um... It, so it becomes a little bit more just fun consumerism. You know, this this show takes the seriousness of zombies almost entirely away from everything else. In 2012, 
there began a series of zombie 5K runs. That was the first time I could find evidence of zombie 5K runs. And finally, oh. there was another long-awaited Resident Evil movie, of course, um, since 2010, um, called Retribution. <laughs> now, that by this point, it's almost entirely about Alice. And I mean, there are zombies in it, but Alice fights her way to the Oval Office fights the Red Queen, and the military defends both the Umbrella Corporation and the U.S. government. And yes, the movie was panned, and yes, it made its money back four times over. Um, and there were plenty because of zombie films. Because of course films. it did. It's yeah. a, come on. Yes. I mean, like, we, we, by this time, we know what's going to happen. When right. It's a, when, but, yeah. So there were, there were plenty of zombie films to go around, but there were none worthy of note until 2013. And that's when World War Z came out. Now... World War Z, a lot of people will have a problem with because the book was so much better. And I would say that these are two things with the same title that are violently different from each other. World War Z was a book that Max Brooks, the son of Mel Brooks, wrote in 2006. It was a really good book, but it's well beyond our scope here. However, in 2013, the movie came out with Brad Pitt. And it totally wasn't the book because how could it be the book? Uh, the book is just really, really cool little vignettes. Um, this movie grossed over $540 million, making it the single highest grossing zombie movie of all time. Okay, wait. I'm sorry. I'm going to need you to back up and give me sure. that number again. It grossed how much? 540 plus. 540 million, million plus. Yeah. Dollars. Half a billion dollars. Yep. So that it grossed. Yes. So is that worldwide? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I don't remember it even actually being reviewed as being that great a film. Have you noticed that the most successful movies keep getting panned? Yeah. Well, yes, but there's a part of me that rebels against that. Wow, I don't know what to tell you there. <laughs> I well, no, you're the I, Catholic, but but yeah, okay, granted, but holy shit, half a I I did not realize it had made that much money, mm-hmm. and it wow. was huge. It was Brad Pitt in okay. a zombie movie, so yeah, okay, and right, it well, had a big know. budget behind it, but it grossed over five hundred and forty million. Now, the zombies hit our protagonists out of the blue in Philadelphia, just out of the blue. Brad Pitt is playing a former U.N. guy of some sort who's trying to get his family to safety, and then he's pulled into trying to figure out and solve this outbreak, So, which is a very important shift. Um, there needs to be a stopgap now, not a reversal, but a vaccine. And he's a U.N. guy. So it's not a localized story. It's not a national story. It's a worldwide story. It's not just an American problem. But I do like that it starts in Philadelphia. And it's interesting because at the time that this movie came out, and we could not have known this, but right-wing, left-wing, and religious terror was at a combined nadir in 2013. 2006 saw a similar nadir, which was when the book came out. So both times that World War Z came out, there was a nadir in right-wing, left-wing, and religious terror. And the year after both, it rose dramatically from the right, but not with left or religious groups. Okay, see, Uh in my head, I'm Uh trying to 
you know, do the analysis there based on, on my own, my own recollection. Okay. So I'll, I'll give you the numbers. Uh, in okay. 2013, uh, let's see, uh, right wing violence, uh, religious violence and left wing violence were all at about five attacks each that year. In 2014, it rose to over 25 in uh, right wing. Religious groups, it rose to about 21. In uh, left wing, it rose to six. Yeah, uh, okay. You you go to 2015 and 2016, and then it spikes in 2017 at over 50 right wing attacks. Um, meanwhile, well, religious uh, is on the decline at that point. It had dropped down to 12, um, and left wing was back down to four. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Which, you know, excuse mm-hmm. me, between you and me, uh-huh. none of that is especially surprising. But no. But it, it is a fun and interesting correlation, though. Both times, for the book and for the movie, it rose dramatically afterward. But we weren't yeah. seeing that trend until after it happened. Now, interestingly, violent crime also was falling in 2013. Also, the GDP had fallen off a little bit. And by and large, much of what had fallen off the cliff in 2009 had still come back, though. Um, now, by all measures, 2013 was kind of a chill year in all the ways, which might explain why there was a movie dealing with a problem that sprung up on us. Think housing collapse. Um, And then everyone in the film had to work together, listen to an expert and work our way through it because that's basically the plot of the movie. It's so somewhat of a race against time, but really it's more of a solve the mystery problem for Brad Pitt and a few of his friends around the world. All right. So in 13, uh-huh. We're past the midterm elections. Yes. We're not No, no, into... we're not past the midterm elections. We're past the presidential election. Oh, we're past the presidential election. Okay, so this is this is the second Obama term. Yes. I'm trying to Okay, so 13 is the nadir. Yep. And then we see the spike the following year. We see a giant same... We see a giant climb. We don't see the spike. A spike okay. would be no, that's the right. top of it, right? We see okay. a vast climb in right wings specifically terrorism. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. I find it interesting that there is this lag time mm-hmm. that that Barack Obama won his second election in 2012. Yep. 2013 is a quiet year. Mm-hmm. 2014 we see the climb and then we see the pinnacle yep in 17 which is after mm-hmm. the ascendancy mm-hmm. as it were of the right-wing demagogue who followed obama yes i'm not going to name the cartoonishly evil worst possible play, example of what play, a white person could be absolutely take that shit stain of a human being yes yeah and then I'm wondering, I mean, what this brings up for me is, is where is, what is the explanation for the lag time there? Cause you would think the people that were being mm-hmm. 
Well, I don't think. Okay, so I think you're you're being a bit presentist. Uh, This time around, when an election was lost, uh, they immediately stormed and went ape shit. Um, In 2013, Twitter was not nearly as big. You didn't have the groundwork of uh, right wing hate groups growing and growing and growing and growing and being emboldened and told they are both very fine people and that they should stand back and stand by. You had heavy FBI pressure on on crushing those groups. Um, and so I think all okay. those things combined, it takes about a year for them to crawl out from under the, the rocks. The yeah. 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 No. So. And and you're. Yeah. OK. So presentism. Like, yep. Yeah. All, so all it, the rest. Yeah. Of didn't now, need to even elaborate. I get it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That makes sense. In what will feel a little too on the nose, the plague in this uh, movie causing zombies turns out to be a vaccine that turns people apeshit, cannibalistic, and senseless. Moreover, others begin reacting to this hardship in very selfish ways. So Brad Pitt goes from South Korea to Jerusalem, which is doing some cool shit like we saw in the book. Um, But in the movie, prayer songs, which are meant to embolden morale among the living, serve to draw the zombies to destroy the safe zone by way of crowding and climbing. Um, At this point, Brad Pitt notices that a young boy who has clearly got some some sort of a dread disease and an old man who likely does too are completely avoided by the zombies. They part around them. He gets the idea that illnesses are the weakening us, that are weakening us may well save us. And then he goes off to Cardiff because there's a WHO pathogen storage facility there. It's overrun by zombies, of course, but Brad Pitt is hella Brad Pitt, so he goes and gets them. Also, he has a Pepsi. Since the terminally ill aren't a good carrier for the virus, the zombies leave them alone. He brings this knowledge, which he had to gamble on in Cardiff when he was faced with a bunch of zombies. He brings it to Nova Scotia, and now we can all fight our way back to normal with a vaccination. I'm sure there were some people on the boats who'd rather their immune system fought the zombies or who thought the vaccination would roll out too fast, but most folks were pretty happy at this news, and Brad Pitt is back with his family at the end. I swear to God, this is the only happy ending to a zombie film that I can recall in a long time. And it's also a mostly forgettable film. Which is remarkable because it made so much money. So did Avatar. (laughs) Yeah, but Avatar was like so psychedelic that people bitched about reality not being intense enough afterward. And while true, five years later, nobody gave a shit about Avatar. Yeah, it's become I mean, a, a trope that we okay. just kind of point at. Yeah, right. Yeah, but yeah, but you get what I'm saying. Oh yeah, saying. yeah. Like like there's 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 a difference in in. It's amazing that it made ex- so much yeah. when yeah. when it meant so little. Yes. Yeah. And and I mean I mean that's that's kind of your point, but but the point I'm trying to make is like Avatar at least has the explanation of being like holy shit for the two and a half hours I was there. It was this incredibly intense experience. Yes. And I don't know if World War Z like matches up with that. Yeah. I think the the happy ending to a zombie movie mm-hmm. bit is worth noting. Yes. Since since we're not talking about the literary aspect of anything and we're not talking about the book World War Z. Correct. I think as a film mm-hmm the idea that there could be a happy ending to a zombie movie mm-hmm. 
I think in I many ways, I, I think this is the, the bellwether of the end of the genre. Like, Walking Dead has sucked all the air out of all the things. So this is kind of the swan song as far as zombie movies go. Because we don't see any that go from there. We and don't get me wrong. I'm about to cover the rest that come come about. Yeah, I was I was gonna but, say it's not like the genre has died out. No, but, but it's also not like it's gone anywhere significant. So, okay. And after this, like I said, the zombie movie market seems to have died down more too. And so again, is this the high water mark? I think this is the swan song. I think we okay. high water mark probably was Zombieland. Okay. Yes, this one made more money, but from a pushing the genre forward kind of thing. I mean, aside from zombie strippers, I think it really is <laughs> zombie land. So, actually, I take it back. The high water mark is coming, and you will know it when I point it out. So, okay, okay. Right. So, I'm, I'm waiting on tenter hooks. Good. Okay. Now, I think a lot of why the genre dies down is because The Walking Dead has sucked all the air out of the room and made it so that you had to basically have two kinds of zombie content. Either super ultra mega gritty as hell, uh, or direct to DVD cable channel campiness. Um, you could argue that there's a third car category, which is comedy, but I think that falls more into camp. Now, in 2014, we see a bunch more zombie films, like I said, but I'm just going to focus on a few. First, we have Dead Snow 2, Red versus Dead. This time, there's zombies for the Nazis and also zombies for the Russian army. The Norwegians have such a distinctive sense of humor, and it really comes through in this movie. And the only person who survived the first movie is back in the second one. Um, and I'm, I'm just going to tell you the plot of it because it's so fun. The, this movie takes place literally right after the first one ends. So he smashed the window. Our main protagonist, right. whose name is thoroughly forgettable, but actually it's Martin, um, forgot to return one coin of Nazi gold. And so the commanding Nazi co zombie comes after him. And that zombie's hand comes off in the ensuing car chase. So then Martin gets okay. into a car accident, which severs his arm. And then he awakens to find out that the doctors don't believe this Nazi zombie story that doesn't make any sense, which is fair. But then he's also told that they sewed his hand back on. Oh, shit. But it's not his hand. It's the zombie Nazi's hand. Oh, man. And the hand is murderous. And Martin is now on the run because he killed a nurse. And an American group of zombie enthusiasts, of course, come to help him. And it turns out that the hand gives him the ability to resurrect fallen zombies and other powers. And the result is that the Nazi zombies come down to town to carry out na Nazi nastiness. And Martin has to resurrect the Red Army of the Dead to fight them off. Martin ends up winning, and the police realize he's not a murderer, and then he goes to the graveyard where his girlfriend is buried. He digs her up, and he resurrects her one last time for one final sex session with her in his car while listening to Total Eclipse of the Heart. Okay. In other words, this is a perfect masterpiece of cinema. Okay, wait. Okay. We're still not at the uh, the high water mark, though. Yeah, I, I, I it's get about that. to crest. We're about to hit it. So I, I, say what I, you want. I, I, I get that, but but here okay. it comes. Okay, I don't even know where to begin here. So okay, I keep using the word okay. Yeah. So, so and none of this has, is okay. <laughs> he has so the zombie the zombie hand has been sewed onto his arm. Yeah, like you do. Like you do. Mm -hmm. 
because the medical staff don't that know enough yeah. to spot the newly severed limb of a living individual from the snow mummified no, hand, but newly of a severed zombie. as well. It was newly yeah. severed. Yeah, newly severed, but it's been buried under the snow, attached to a that just means know, it's preserved. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for forty plus fucking years. Uh huh. Okay. Anyway, so 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 number one, like I, I have a problem with that. Number one, but moving on. After everything else involved, uh-huh. he resurrects his girlfriend, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who has been buried. Yeah, in the time from the first. Mo- so the first movie. I mean, he's been with- on the run for a few days. He has been on the run for a few days, and and you know, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. So there's but, been time to have that funeral. Um, yeah, but barely. Yeah, well, that's but, why she's I still mean, fuckable, yeah. Ed. Uh, all right. So anyway, moving on. Okay. Uh, so so tell me about that. I want to, because like I don't even want to. Well, this one was. Well, a... I, I don't know why I started commenting because I knew it was going to come to a place where I just didn't even want to think about it. So anyway, moving on. Oh, and there's a Titanic scene, like you know, where like the hand goes against the window and it's all steamy, except this time it's total eclipse of the heart. Like it's so good, so good. <laughs> you and I have very different <laughs> ideas. What good? Well, then I you might that's, disagree that's with me not, on this next movie then. A... That's not a party. Okay. Well, um, so here comes the high water mark of zombie movies. It I went straight to DVD, and I don't know why. Um, <laughs> but it came out in 2014, and it's called Pro Wrestlers vs. Zombies. Of course, this is the high water mark. Now, sadly, it was straight to DVD, but thanks be to Kickstarter for making sure that it was, in fact, funded. And. Because we got to see Roddy Piper, Matt Hardy, and his girlfriend, who's an excellent wrestler on her no- on her own, named Rebby Sky, Kurt Angle, and Shane Douglas, Shane Douglas in a movie with zombies. So here's what happens: Shane Douglas, the franchise, kills a wrestler in the ring with a pile driver, who was pile driving his wife backstage before the show. Um, oh, that okay. wrestler's brother swears a curse and summons a demon who gives him the power over a horde of zombies as long as the demon gets to eat a woman's heart. Shane, being the indie wrestler that he is, takes another booking while the brother of the man that he killed has lured other wrestlers to the same venue, which is a prison, and he zombifies them. Various wrestlers, including Kurt Angle, are zombies who keep their wrestling abilities. However, Shane, Matt, Jim Duggan, a couple others, and Rebby Sky are still human, which means they become fodder for the zombies. Shane betrays Jim Duggan after Matt Hardy and Rebby Sky meet a grisly demise, saving himself. He even says, jobbers die, main eventers live. I mean, how classic a heel turn for Shane Douglas is that? Wow. Now, Shane does run into his... That is so genre, it hurts. Oh, yeah. He does admit to his ex-wife that he meant to kill the wrestler after all. And that he is fine with everything that's going badly because it was her adultery that caused it all. The wrestler's brother summons Shane's wow, family. He's a dick. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's a heel. Uh, the wrestler's brother summons Shane's family, whom he turned zombie, and Shane has to kill his family to spare them from this fate. Uh, eventually, 
Shane is overpowered by more zombies and dies. Roddy Piper realizes that they need to stay and fight, and he and a woman named Sarah fight to the last. She lives. Piper yet again doesn't job, and he survives, killing the brother of the wrestler who died in the ring. By the way, this was a trauma production. Because, of course. <laughs> now, finally, I just wanted to mo- note that there is a movie called Zombievers that came out in 2014. And that's all that really needs to be said. I know. Damn. I'm 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 afraid to ask. Zombievers. Are, are, are they actually damn building? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Like then, I said, damn. Okay. Now, real quick, I was, I was worried. I would I'm be remiss. Concerned. I would be remiss if I didn't mention the amount of zombie comic books and books that came out about zombies in the last twenty years. Star Wars comics had a zombie outbreak that was a bioweapon used by the separatist, and it was unleashed yeah. on the colony moon of Omdun. Omadun. Oh, Madun. Uh, on mm-hmm. some Gungans in the comic series in 2003. In 2008, yeah. there was another incident in the comics that was in Star Wars called Vector. It was across three different timelines, very much tied to the old idea of zombies, with a soul being trapped inside of a jewel, which controlled and created those zombies. Uh, her name was Celeste Morn, and she was the Jedi who kept this this evil soul at bay, and she ran into Vader, Luke, and Cade Skywalker, because those were the main characters in the three main titles at the time. Also in Star Wars, there have been Death Troopers, Riptide, and Red Harvest, all novels from 2009 to 2011. I mean, talk about a short slice, right? Yeah. Marvel had a zombie miniseries that came out in 0506, as well Mm -hmm. as an ongoing zombie comic that started in 05 as well. They've even had a recent What If episode that was all zombies. Yeah, well, which was a callback to the series from 05 and 06. Yeah, yeah. Speaking from personal experience, the the part of the Marvel Zombies series that was the most affecting mm-hmm. to me mm-hmm. was uh, Peter Parker's story. Ah, yeah. In it, because um, you know all the rest of it was just like you know they the the individuals who became zombified became you know sociopathic. Right. But Peter Parker, spoiler alert, as I recall, killed and ate uh, his his Aunt May and uh, his, at this point, was she still his wife? Oh, Mary Jane? Trying to, yeah, Mary Jane. I'm trying to remember whether whether one more day had happened or not. Anyway, I think it had but, happened by that point. Okay. But anyway, he, he winds up killing and eating aunt may and mj if i remember right and he's like tormented about it Uh uh-huh whereas everybody else that was affected by the by the zombie plague was was basically you know just a monster right and that's a that's an interesting commentary on the way the writers view peter parker as opposed to everybody else in the mcu Mm -hmm. absolutely but even with that being the case, I felt like in the comics it was a little bit – the trope was a little bit tired mm-hmm. by that time. Well, did you sense. read it right when it came out or did you uh, read it later? I'm trying to remember. Because I didn't I read it until later. So 
Now, yeah, beyond it could be that I didn't read it until later, and I felt that the trope was was overdone by that time. Mm-hmm. That could be that could be presentism mm-hmm. on my part. So beyond that trio of zombie movies that I mentioned, ending with Zombievers, uh, zombie movies have been on the wane since 2013. And I think there's a couple of reasons for this. First, the oversaturation of the market. Second, The Walking Dead did it so well that there's really no point in coming up with anything else right now. Uh, I mean, think about how many high-end fantasy movies came out after Lord of the Rings or how many high-end gangster movies came out after Godfather Part Two. Not many. And third, by and large, zombie movies cease to be entertaining because of what was happening in America as white supremacy continues to convulse against having a black man as president at the time. For instance, in 2013, there were 939 hate groups in America. And then it dropped off a really big amount, largely due to the efforts of the FBI. But then it started to rise after 2014, too. So in nineteen or in 2013, there were 939. Dropped down to 784 in 2014. Went back up to 892 in 2015. 917 in 2016. 954 in 2017. 1,020 in 2018. 940 in 2019. And back down to 838 in 2020. I don't think zombies are as exciting as a subject after 2013 because it's too goddamn real. And I think that this might be the best place to discuss the different theories about zombie movies that people have pushed in prior years. Okay, So Vox had a wonderful article in 2016 that scratches at the broader brush reasons as to why zombie movies were so popular. In the 1930s, it was fear of a primitive culture and the chaos that it brings. In the late 40s and 50s, up through Romero, it was Cold War fear. We've talked about that. It was the fear of annihilation, the fear of absorption into another way of life, the fear of scientists with nefarious motivations, which seemed to be totally independent of and tone deaf of the United States' importation of former Nazi scientist Werner von Braun. Now, yeah. Well, I, th- I think I think the the take there was the the communist government of the soviet union was going to be one that was going to take away your agency right you know i mean i I remember i remember growing up being told that well you know if you if you had grown up in the ussr you would be told what your job would be right as an adult as opposed to in america where you get told what your job can't be Um, Now, Romero zombies had a lot to do with apocalyptic fears, but now it was what if we did survive? The fear of survival weighed heavily on people, so it wasn't the removal of agency, it was the burden of, of living past it. And perhaps more... What are we going to do in the world that follows this one? Yes. And perhaps more damagingly than did the fear of obliteration. And... Though that's tough to measure, and, and we didn't execute anyone for espionage during the Romero zombie time, uh, it was also not just a reflection and a release of our fears. It was now a commentary on those fears, because the struggle for civil rights in the U.S. definitely played into it. If you remember the young man Tom in Night of the Living Dead, he said, we'd all be better off working together, and then he got ignored, like the youth movement as regarded Vietnam and civil rights. And also remember that the Vietnam War was in full swing in 1968, with the Tet Offensive being broadcast into American kitchens in stark clarity. And then in the 80s, that fear shifted again. AIDS was capturing the imagination of Americans, no matter how badly the president wanted to ignore it. 
Ebola was the popular imagination uh, since the 1970s. And if we extend that fear into the 90s and 2000s, there was the avian flu, SARS, swine flu, um, all the way from the 90s through the 2000s. The real fear was contagion at this point. And then in the most recent years, in the mid-2010s, or the 20-teens, I guess we would call them, survivalists have started really looking to zombie films and games. They see it as a guide to the point where the CDC had a zombie survival guide on its website at one point. In, mm-hmm. in 2013, at the same time as the survivalism craze sweeps through the nation, a group pops up in Kansas. It's called the Kansas Anti-Zombie Militia. Now, you combine that with the fear of new drugs like bath salts and really the fear of Antifa and BLM protesters, Marxists, cultural Bolsheviks at all. And the fear of zombies is really just an effort to dehumanize each other and express our fear of the other. Now, that's one set of analyses. Okay. Here's another. If you look at uh, a chart of zombie movies... Um, you find that in the 30s, there were a total of three of them. In the 40s, there were eight of them. In the 50s, there were nine of them. In the 60s, there were 17 of them. In the 70s, there were 28 of them. In the 80s, there were 69 of them. Nice. Nice. In the 90s, there were 46 of them. And then in the 2000s, there were 172. And in the 2010s, there was projected to be about 176 of them. Giant leaps. Yeah. So here's the theory. It's I call it the cracked theory because that's where I first found it. Zombies stopped representing our fears and started representing our hatred. We hate them because they are us. They're just us without the things that make us human. They're meat bags, sans empathy, inspiration, love, and emotion. They're just hunger and unrelenting movement, Um, which means that the zombies are just avatars for our hunger and our lust. And who we hate becomes that. So whoever we hate becomes that. In the 50s, we hated communists. In the 60s, we hated racism and discord. Uh, In the 70s, it was consumerism. Now it's the other. Because as they said on the episode of After Hours uh, by Cracked, they said we start with fear, which makes us feel weak, which makes us angry, which turns to hate. Zombies reproduce how we process fear into hate with a low-stakes murder at the end. Cracked further analyzes it all uh, as the way that liberals see conservatives, the monolithic mob of consumers who endlessly devour all in their path, brainlessly at that. And I think that this has merit in the post-9-11 zombies, but their analysis of prior movies is frankly lacking. Um, It's like they haven't written 20,000 words on this topic. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, going yeah. after cracked, are you? Okay. No, just kind of highlighting yeah. myself there. Um, yeah, okay. The post 9 11 zombies are aggressive and brainless. Um, and it's absolutely how liberals saw Bush's followers as he ignored intelligence briefings. He blundered into Iraq and he had no exit strategy for Afghanistan or Iraq. He cowboyed his way through to a second election. And I think Cracked has a good point there. But I also think that the drop in popularity of zombie films can be placed pretty well and, and well on some levels with the second Obama administration, with the rise of survivalists and those separatists and survivalists constant focus on the other during Trump. 
their guy had won, and yet they still clung to this fear of the archetypical other, despite, as Cracked Writers had put it, the nagging doubt that we and they are one and the same. Because they had a president who validated that in Obama. He dared to be black, after all. But their reaction was menacing. It was angry. It was irrational. And ultimately, it was cannibalistic. And with Trump, that fear and aggression was given license. One only has to look at how the insurrection on January 6th uh, happened to see that. The hordes stormed the Capitol building, the Capitol building where they held the majority. You saw how they were dressed and how unrelenting and unwilling to listen they were. You saw how they were willing to damage everything that they uh, saw and everything that they were and how they banged against the windows until those windows gave way and how they just kept pushing and pushing. And you heard them screaming, hang Mike Pence. So you've got the cannibalism, but you've also got the uh, Day of the Dead where they're just banging on the windows to try to get in. Mm-hmm. Zombie movies aren't necessarily anymore for us to touch uh, that scary part of ourselves. We have the news. We don't need them anymore. And now there's a unifying field theory approach that I want to try to try out here as well. It's kind of a, a, as an overview, okay? So I'm taking the cracked, I'm taking the Western, I'm taking all these things and trying to come up with a unified theory because I think all of them are lacking. Um, Unified theory of zombies. Yes, here we go. Zombie movies prior to 1968 were about a malevolent intelligence removing someone's agency and making them do their bidding. From the beginning, one could see the impact of fear of revolution, fear of growing fascism, and fear of the other ideology. Okay. By 1968, zombies weren't that anymore. They were now hordes that could not be controlled. Look at the unrest in 68. The fact that our government couldn't be reasoned with in its singular devotion to defeating communism, becoming the other to fight the other. By this point, it was a force of nature. And I think that lines up a lot with Romero was showing us about others and lines up a lot with the cracked theory. And then with The Walking Dead, there was a new evolution, however nuanced it may be. The zombies were still an uncontrollable and dangerous horde of others, but as Rick told was told at the very end of the first season, all of us are infected. When we die, we become a menace. In other words, in 2009, after the banks had collapsed and after the Occupy Wall Street movement, complete with the homeless costuming, was supplanted by the Tea Party AstroTurf movement, which the Koch brothers quickly lost control of, everyone was capable of becoming a horde. We were no longer agents of change, but agents of chaos. And we were all the other, trying desperately only to survive. And it's inevitable. As this system has failed us, we all can lose our agency and become the other. Zombie movies aren't popular because it's no longer fiction. We've seen our loved ones get bitten and rage and consume all in their path to our detriment and now we live with that as a background menace knowing that we're all capable of being the same zombies are way more of a mirror than ever before and while they're still stand-ins for indians in a western or the homeless or addicts or people of color for many ultimately it is still a mirror and one that is not fun it's depressing to look at what we used to see as each other and see that there isn't really an other anymore The most compelling argument I think there is for what zombies represent is definitely the one that brings the least comfort. We're done. Wow. 
So okay. that's my unified zombie theory. Okay. So building from that then. Yeah. With the last year and a half, mm-hmm. two years mm-hmm. under our belt, the the end of the Trump administration, beginning of the post-Trump world, mm-hmm. and the actual no shit pandemic that we've been living through Mm -hmm. what do you think is the next direction for the genre to evolve in i think it's going to collapse yeah yeah i think it's going to collapse in on itself for quite some time i i think that we'll still see people tapping in i'm sure resident evil will have like five more movies um, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, because like you said, it's an ATM. Yeah, exactly. I, and I do think that people will still try to make these films, but I don't think any will be culturally significant. Okay, that's yeah. fair. And I don't think, so, yeah, I, I think it'll collapse in the same way that Man in the High Castle kind of lost steam. Oh. The what if the Nazis won is not compelling when the Nazis when, are in Charlottesville. When Nazis actually, yeah, kind of are yeah. still here. So it took all the steam out of that that show. Yeah, and people lost a lot of interest. Yeah. So, so then I'm I'm going to rather than asking you. Well, okay. Mm-hmm. Normally do, and then I'll 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 do my mutation on it. When, when it gets to be my turn. Sure. But this is the point where, you know, we normally say, what what is your takeaway? Right. And so my, my takeaway mm-hmm. here is, like, I mean, I, I went into this whole exercise knowing that, that the cracked argument that you put forward mm-hmm. at the end is, is kind of the thesis statement. That, yep. Not that, for me, you know, but yeah. Well, but you know that was that that was the the kind of kind of the argument that, that started the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Or, I mean, it's the Josephine Tay of of the yeah. whole thing. Yeah. And you know, I I feel like we kind of glossed over the whole bath salts thing. Yeah. In in you know in discussion of, of the real world that that for this for this very brief moment in I don't remember which year it was there was like no no Florida man is really doing this shit like yeah. this is a thing yeah you know um and and the, the the one incident that was all over the internet and all over the news for you know two weeks where where the one guy in Florida was eating some other dude's face. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he bit uh, out, he ate out his eyes. Jesus. Yeah. Like, wow. Um, you know, and, and I, feel, I kind of feel like we, 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 on the one hand, I don't want to give that any, any attention because holy crap, that's awful. On the other hand, I feel like we didn't pay enough attention to that because that was a huge thing in the zitgeist. In 2013, though. In 20, yeah. Like, that's when it really came up and and that's yeah. right when you're seeing the final real zombie movie too. Yeah. Like all of it kind of crested together and I don't know that yeah. we would have been interested in bath salts as a problem had it not been for the popularity of zombie movies. I I think that's a meaningful point. Yeah. I totally agree with you. I I but I 
I just feel like, you know, we bring nerdery into the real world. I'm like, this is. <laughs> I missed I missed that part of the real world. Yeah. yeah. You know, well, I, yeah. I just I feel like we, we should have, you know, hit that with with a little bit more of a with a little bit more of an exclamation point there. Sure. Um, but, you know, and, and the idea that, you know, the, the zombies are the people we hate, mm-hmm. you know, the thing. And, you know, I, I find I find that interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in, in the final analysis that now we're in this place where we are living through an actual no shit pandemic. Yes. And maybe because of exhaustion from that, we're, we're not going to see this particular trope having the same impact. Right. Going forward. And so my question for you. Mm hmm now is based on what we've been through in the last 24 months uh-huh give or take yeah what Jesus. do you think is going to be having having spent the time researching this mm-hmm. what do you think is going to be the next thing that we latch on like are we go, are we going to go for werewolves like as a as a as a as metaphor, a monster or yeah, as a metaphor for, you know, people being taken over by, you know, QAnon. Are we going to go for vampires as a metaphor for, you know, corporate greed and environmental destruction and parasitism or mm-hmm. like, you know, what, what, what do you think? Like, do you, do th- you have, do you have an idea? Yeah, I do. I think that, it, and that's, I think that this, this plague that we're living through is also another reason why zombie movies are not going to be culturally significant. Nobody wants to watch a movie reminding us of the reality that we live in right now. Yeah. Totally. So that's that's a big thing there. But uh in terms of where we go from here, um I I do think that we're going to see more cult movies. Mm. I think you're going to see more cult stuff because cults can still hit. You remember studios want to hit quadrants now. They don't want to make statements. They want to hit quadrants. So a cult movie will absolutely, to people on the left who have lost family members to QAnon, cult movies make sense. Oh, yeah. But to people on the right who think that their family has been duped, to QAnon folks, they still buy tickets too. So... When people are leaning that way, they're going to think that, you know, the cult has taken over them. I also think alien movies are going to be bigger um, because there is the delusion that we all rallied together to defeat COVID. We didn't. Um, but I think. Oh, fuck no. We but didn't. I think we'll want to think that about ourselves when this is all over. So you'll see more alien movies, more alien invasion movies, which okay. again will hit the quadrant for people who don't like Haitians living under bridges in Texas. So that's that's where I think it's going. God, I hate people. I really don't like it here anymore. <laughs> I remember I remember when I did the episode on um, on V for Vendetta. And I found a yeah. quote by Alan Moore, and he's like, I don't like it here anymore. And that was in 1984. Yeah. Like, and I'm like, I, I get you, One bro. of these days, I want to revisit that episode with me actually being here instead of a guest partner. I, you. you know what? That saves me research. I'm totally down for it. Okay. <laughs> so, 
I don't mind. Because <laughs> um, I yeah. have feelings. <laughs> yeah. And there might be updates that I need to to add into oh, that yeah, since, yeah, you know, yeah, we've... This is true since it's been a little while. Yeah. So, yeah. so, but anyway, yeah, I think we're going to see cult movies uh, start to crop up. And I think we're going to see alien movies start to crop up. Um, okay. I don't know if horror as a genre is going to be as popular. Um, I I think, but I also don't I, you know, know what's going to happen comedy wise because being mean is, <sighs> is not a seller anymore. So. Isn't it though? It, uh, no, not, not if you're going for all the quadrants. Okay, well, okay, not if you're going for all the quadrants, right. but like at the risk of dating us mm-hmm. right now, like how much money is Dave Chappelle making? Right that's now? not a movie though. That's a that's a comedy special, and the answer oh, is somewhere okay, in the twenty millions. Right. I'm not saying all comedy right. is going to be dead. Okay, I'm saying comedy movies. Comedy movies. I'm having a hard films. time seeing what the next type is. Because in the early 2000s, it was like really gross out humor. And then it became edgy shit. And then it became yeah. the uncomfortable shit. And then it became uh, challenging your own masculinity shit. And now I'm not sure where to go from there. So I, I'll okay. be interested in seeing that. I don't think comedy yeah. is going to go away. But okay. Well, no, yeah. comedy obviously... As as a thing, comedy is primal. I yeah. don't I don't think that's the way. But huh. and I find it interesting what you said about horror, though, because mm-hmm. as a genre, mm-hmm. I don't think it's going anywhere either. I think it's just going to be a difference of what it is that we're afraid of, maybe, and what it is we're trying to exercise by watching these films. I think. I mean. I think if yeah, horror they, is is a genre that remains strong, I think it'll be horror of the mind within the mind. It'll be a little more dissociative disorder. It'll be isolation ooh. type stuff. It'll oh, you know it'll be that. Wow. It it will be much more the prison that we keep ourselves in, and much less the prison that other people put us in. Okay. I think that'll be you know That's if powerful. If, yeah, right. I think I think those things will be. Um, if if horror continues as a popular genre, and of course there's always retreads of old properties, so yeah, that's 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 kind of those are my predictions. Um, okay, yeah. well, I think I think all of that's pretty fair. Um, I I I mean the only the only thing I'm going to say is I think there's always a need within society for us to exorcise the mm-hmm. things that we are afraid of, you know, sure. and, and throwing them up on a screen and turning them into a story is one of the ways that we do that. And so I think, I don't think the genre of horror is going anywhere. I think again, that's kind of the reason I asked you the question I did mm-hmm. about where do you, what do you think is going to be the next monster is because I don't, I don't think we're, we're going to stop needing to have a monster because, right. you know, we, we have needed a monster since the paleolithic. Right. And we still do. It's just, what is the shape that monster takes? Sure. If if that is logical, yeah, if that, no, makes, that sense. makes sense. Yeah, you know, I I think I think the Zitgeist always needs to 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 project that somewhere, and 
yeah. So I, I don't think the genre of horror is going anywhere, but I, I think you're, you're totally, I totally agree with you a hundred percent on the idea that zombie films probably are not going to be a thing in mm-hmm. the same way for a while. Yeah. Um, I think the undercurrent of them being now an established part of like, this is just a subgenre forever, I think is going to be a thing, but I don't think they're oh, going to yeah. be, I don't think they're going to be relevant. Yeah. I in agree. The same way. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, well, you, you're saying you agree. I, I agree with you because you, <laughs> you made the point, but I, I think, you know, um, because we've all spent the last year in a lockdown mm-hmm. of one degree or another, because we've all had to be walking around wearing masks and worry about whether we've got our, our immunizations up to date. Mm-hmm. Anything that involves a plague is just not going to be fun for anybody. Right. You know? And so I, I think, I think it's going to make it very hard to tell a zombie story. That's going to be a big hit. Yeah. Um, I I'm kind of interested to see whether we're going to see shapeshifter or or werewolf movies mm. like somebody being overtaken by a curse kind of stuff. I could definitely I could I could again I said uh, I said cults I think that yeah, that would yeah, fall I, you know, within there. I think, I think possession I think cults, movies maybe. Um, oh, all, yeah, well, because yeah. we've already done that math. Uh, anytime yeah. the yeah, faith in the government goes down. Um, yeah. possession movies tend to climb up. So, yeah. Now that'll be interesting to me because, you know, the, the, the people right now that have the least amount of faith in the government tend to lean right. Yeah. Right. now. Yes. Because of the active efforts of specific individuals who I'm not going to name mm-hmm. to try to undermine faith in our democratic institutions. Yes. You know, leading up to, and then in the wake of the last presidential election, and so it'll be interesting to see whether, like, do you think there's a chance we might see, like, a political divide in horror movies, like, like right wing horror movies that are possession flicks? Uh, that are possession flicks? No, but I think they will be milk toast enough that they will hit all the. Again, I think people are. I, I think the studios are going for quadrant hitters. So I think that A Quiet Place was a really, really well-directed movie that actually has a lot of right-wing undertones to it. And I think okay. that that hit that, those quadrants. Okay. I think okay. that Hereditary was a very, very thrilling, uh, scary-ass uh, possession movie that absolutely played toward the idea that trauma is a very real and vibrant thing in our lives. Um, so I think it okay. hit those quadrants. I, I think that's okay. what you end up having is a lot of quadrant hitters. Okay. Okay. So, so, but you're, when we talk about that, though, we're talking about the ecosystem of studio films. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're living in a world where we're dealing with, or we're surrounded by dealing with a little judgmental. We're, we're surrounded by Kickstarter or Patreon-funded efforts mm-hmm. as well. And I'm wondering if in indie horror mm-hmm. we might see like a sub-sub-subgenre of uh, horror films that are responding to the right-wing idea of 
again, possession and distrust in government, if that might be a thing. I think crowdfunding tends to lean left. Um, okay. Left and center. So I don't know okay. that you'll see that right. um, lining up uh, along those lines. Okay. So, yeah. I'm just, you know, I, I bring that up because on Facebook I've seen a number of projects that are either Patreon or, or you know, crowdfunding of one form or another that mm-hmm. have been, like, explicitly right-wing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just wondering... This is going to sound really snobby, but are they okay. art or are they people talking? They're art. Okay, cool. Been, well, like, you know, been, is it a lecture series or is it an actual thing with a plot? So, no, it's it's an actual thing with a plot. Okay. Like, I mean, it's shitty, but mm-hmm. it's a thing with a plot. Like, sure, sure. You know, um,. And and I mean that that gets back to the idea of the democratization of media across the board. The, yep. Like whatever your whatever your leanings are, whatever your connections are, there's now this ability to find your niche and you know try to try to find a way to manipulate the algorithm mm-hmm. to get your support to get stuff made. Right. And like. We're we're still in the very beginning of this kind of age where that's a thing, mm-hmm. and so I I kind of I kind of wonder how we're gonna see like genres of all kinds, whether it's fantasy or horror or whatever, you know, diverge mm-hmm. in that kind of way based on based on the the niche audience that somebody's looking for. Yeah, I think also you're underestimating the the role of the franchise film um, to suck all the air out of the room. <laughs> to pull all of the oxygen out yeah. of the space. Yeah. yeah. No, that's true. That's a good point. I am so, I am underestimating. I'm giving too much credit to to individual artists for their ability to get attention to their project when we have a largely monolithic corporate yep. art structure. Which is, again, why I keep coming back to, well, we're going to find uh, quadrant hitters because they, they have dialed in how to make that money. So, Oh, yeah. No, they totally have. I, I, think, I think you're right. I think that's a great, that's a great point. Mm-hmm. So anyway. So, all right. So uh, got anything for people to read or watch? Um, I'm going to very uh, one more time, one final time. Um, I'm going to recommend the Kurosagi Corpse Delivery Service. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and alongside that, I'm going to recommend the manga Mail. Uh, and, and without getting into too much detail, that's another Japanese horror manga, uh, focused on ghosts instead of zombies, but it's, it's one in which the main character is a, a ghost I don't know if hunter is the right word, but problem solver. But they both have a very, very profoundly different paradigm Mm -hmm. from which they view the idea of undeath. And it's very Asian and it's very Buddhist and um, it's well worth reading. It's, it's consistently, both of them are very consistently entertaining and I very highly recommend both of them. They're both published by uh, 
uh, Dark Horse comics mm-hmm. uh, here in the United States with the English translations. So I'm going to recommend them very, very strongly hmm. uh, for anybody who's interested in a different kind of paradigm of horror. Um, so that's that's going to be my reading recommendation. How about you? I'm going to actually recommend a children's book called Happiness Is... And then the subtitle is 500 Things to Be Happy About. You need to cleanse your palate after these 10 episodes. <laughs> that's that's a meaningful point. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I can see that. Yeah. So Check I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recommend that. Uh, okay. Yeah. Hey, where can people find you on social media? I can be found on social media at E.H. Blaylock on the Twitter machine. And I can be found as Mr. Blaylock on uh, the Tiki Talk and on uh, Instagram. Mm-hmm. We collectively can be found at Geek History Time on Twitter and A Geek History of Time, History of Time, on uh, the just the internet in general. And where can you be found, sir? Uh, let's see. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Duh Harmony, two H's in the middle, uh, at both of those. You can also find me every first Tuesday of every month, slinging puns with capital punishment, uh, my old crew, uh, on uh, twitch.tv forward slash capital puns. So those are, those are the places you could find us. So, uh, in the meantime, you could find our podcast on Stitcher, Spotify, and the Apple store. Uh, rate, subscribe, review. Uh, as always, give us the five star that you know that we deserve, um, and uh, tell your friends. My goodness, tell your friends, uh, and and let Please. us know if you think that we should start doing merch. Uh, prove prove Ed wrong. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> hey, what uh, what? Hold uh, on. So for a geek history of time, I'm Damian Harmony, and I'm Ed Blaylock, <laughs> reacting in shock to that calumny and until next time keep rolling 20s